Hi everybody and welcome to another episode of the Threads of Life podcast, embracing family life and neurodiversity with a uh, big focus on autism, ADHD, uh, non-speaking autism, parenting in general, because all of that is basically my world. (laughs) My eldest is 20 and diagnosed ADHD about five months ago five, six months ago. My youngest, Henry, whom lots of you know now, is non-speaking autistic and ADHD. And whilst on paper, my gorgeous daughter is neurotypical. She has been assessed for inattentive ADHD and is not diagnosed. She is, however, I would put her in the potentially neurodiverse category. And I'm sure she wouldn't mind me saying that. I'll I'll check after the fact. (laughs) because she's never really, I mean, she was a crazy tomboy when she was little. And I mean, really, like, uh, you know, people sort of interpreted that as, oh, well, she's super sporty and she's got brothers, etc. But no, no, I think she, it went a little bit deeper than that. I think she really, for a good few years, completely identified as a boy. She has never been a girly girl and she's 18 now, and still, you know, the, the the kind of, I mean, those mid-teens, 15, 16, ew, and in a way, like, I mean, not helped with COVID. She doesn't do the big girls' parties and sleepovers and, and big social groups of, of loads of girls. It's very difficult for her. Uh, she has no academic problems, really super determined with it, on the ball, organized, part-time job, separate qualification as a pool lifeguard outside of school, super sporty, popular, you know, wonderful, but definitely chomping at the bit (laughs) to leave the the school world. And I am, I'm so excited for her and I'm so, I wonder if I would have embraced this as much as I have had it not been for for my boys because she is not going to go the traditional university route. And I am so glad because it's not her bag. Socially, it is not her bag. And so, yeah, that's us. I mean, you can't can't not call that a neurodiverse family. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We've yet to analyze the parental links, but um, we're working on it. So right, no apology. It's a biggie for me. You know, of all the caption and fashion t-shirt ideas I came up with over the years, the few years I had my little online shop business that was Autism Threads, the no apology caption t-shirt, the charcoal one with the bold black no apology across the chest, you know, has to be my favorite. Three pounds for every one of those t-shirts and all the no apology t-shirts that we sold uh, was split amongst five different autism charities. So that was incredible. And actually what's re- what's remaining of my stock in this lovely charcoal with black, no apology slogan on it, uh, t-shirts is going to be donated in the next couple of weeks to the Anna Kennedy online charity. So if you do, having listened to this podcast, fancy getting your hands on one, they are really divine unisex t-shirts you can probably find them at some of Anna's events in the future she is such a wonderful ambassador for autism both her boys are autistic 
and she has an OBE, in fact, for her services to autism. She organizes the Autism's Got Talent event. She runs her own event every year at Brunel University. That is a stunning venue with speakers and workshops, and she's a fantastic public speaker. And yeah, so you might find, you know, what's left of my stock on her website or perhaps at those events where, again, the entire proceeds of those t-shirts will go towards her amazing charity. So yes, I mean, the obvious, you know, so many reasons, like why no apology, why that slogan, so, so many reasons for me in particular. It is a massive reminder to make no apologies for my son's autism. And that seems like, oh, obviously, you know, but really, <laughs> if you if you live this life and I'm sure, well, I certainly hope there are loads of parents out there who just like me did it without even really thinking and almost, you know, I'm ashamed to say thinking it was the right thing to do uh, to sort of get people to accept and embrace and be a bit more polite Think about it. How often have those of you out there sort of had that moment you're out and about in public with your child and there is that awkward situation where it's either something your child has said or an action they've done or a noise they've made or lack of eye contact that has been made that is, you know, not made, <laughs> that is somehow, you know, deemed socially unacceptable or at best a bit odd by society we immediately pipe up and go, I'm so sorry, he or she's autistic. We've got to stop that. <laughs> they are human. They have personalities. They have thoughts, ideas, opinions, and intelligent minds, just like anyone else. They're exact same age, and they deserve to be out and about in public being themselves not being judged for who they are and definitely not apologized for. You know, even worse than that, I've apologized for my son in front of him. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> crazy. A couple of weeks ago, I got to meet the founder of Spelling to Communicate that is referred to or, you know, called more commonly known as S. 2C. So S, the number 2C, here in the UK. Um, her name is Elizabeth Vossler. She was in the UK from America, and it was the second time I've actually met her. The first time was a very, very brief meeting. Uh, it was in April 2023, where her and a team of other professional S2C practitioners were in London offering families like ours sessions, quite intensive sessions. So you got offered five sessions with a practitioner over two days to either be introduced to the letter boards and their method. How do you say this? Method methodology. Methodology. <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? Or likewise for those families who've whose children in the UK have been working with letter boards, but since there are no qualified practitioners based in the UK at the moment, they had been doing it online and certainly over COVID, so they got a chance to have in-person sessions, some of which were absolutely incredible, where some of these non-speaking autistic individuals, all different ages, actually reached what they call open communication that I will describe in future episodes as we go along. 
And yeah, it was that was just a very fleeting moment, chance moment to meet her. And this second time here in the UK a couple of weeks ago was about me being invited as a pit, I am called, which is a practitioner in training <laughs> to observe and learn over two days. That was just, oh my gosh, I learned so much. And and it's it's quite surreal to sort of be in a situation where you are watching and learning from someone who you are totally in awe of. And not only that, I was lucky enough, you know, in, in the old lunch break to to get to actually sit with and chat to Elizabeth Vossler. Just so unbelievable. She's this dinky little woman, although lots of people are dinky to me. I'm pretty tall. <laughs> Small but mighty. She has the most hilarious sense of humor. She's an absolute joy to be around. She's so warm. She's so natural. She's so honest. Uh, she's so humble, you know, considering the thousands of lives of non-speakers and their families that she has completely transformed. So it, it was just such an honor being being near her, <laughs> in her presence, basically. And the reason, the point of this and, and how it relates to No Apology is that she has seen my t-shirt and knows of it and I actually gifted her one. <laughs> I'll be so over the moon if she wears it, was something she just instantly resonated with. And she uses a lot of analogies in her teaching and her explanations to parents. And I've realized how powerful those analogies are because to help someone who absolutely does not understand it or know it or live it like the world of a non-speaker if you use an analogy, it really kind of puts that person right into the shoes of and completely helps them just, just get it. So, so her response to no apology was, it was just so great. She was like, okay, this is going to be the worst impression of an American accent. But she was like, I know, right? It's like you, Trish, introducing yourself to someone or meeting them for the first time and immediately apologizing for being South African. And like, I was like, oh my gosh, yeah, right. I mean, now you guys get it, don't you? Um, and that's the other huge part about no apology. It it's no apology for all of us, you know. It's about you, yourself. Do not apologize for who you are. <laughs> yeah, just um, so yes, I mean, maybe I need to come and think about those analogies a bit more because it really helps things to, to sink in. If you are the parent of a child who is autistic, that autism is part of who they are. It is part of their very makeup and how their brains work. And please know that just because their bodies don't do what they always want them to, or their eyes can't meet yours to say a very abstract word like hello, or their sensory systems get so disconnected, or flooded and overwhelmed sometimes does not mean that they are not fully competent. Treat them age appropriately and with the same respect you would anyone else. It's a bit like, oh, yeah, I've just thought of an analogy. It's a bit like presuming someone in a wheelchair 
is also mentally disabled or slow. And I mean, think about it, how often you've seen someone in a wheelchair, because now, of course, you've got the immediate visual, unlike people who are autistic. And think about how your little kind of subconscious back there probably does kind of go down that road, doesn't it? And I've heard, I've heard people in wheelchairs say this as well, you know, that they get treated as though they're kind of slow or or delayed or whatever. And I mean, you don't know why they're in the wheelchair. They might have just had knee surgery. They might have a back problem. Or equally, they might be permanently in that wheelchair. But does it mean that they have a mental disability as well? Absolutely not. How would you know unless they can tell you? Right. Wow. First analogy for Trish. (laughs) I want to kind of um, deviate a little bit here now as well. And just the hope, obviously, with this podcast is that it, it generates interest and that people listening to it who don't even who don't even live this world want to find out more about it. And in particular for me, obviously, about that world of non-speaking autistic people and obviously there's loads of books but I mean I can't I mean there's loads of books I still need to read and and actually some that I you know gosh I don't even think I want to go there I mean I eat sleep and breathe it all day long anyway and equally I cannot (laughs) I cannot imagine someone who is listening to this as a parent of of maybe neurodiverse children or as just simply a friend of mine who's supporting me and likes hearing my voice and and obviously does have an interest and wants to know more. But I mean, taking the step of actually going out there and buying a book, particularly on non-speaking autism, is, mm, I'd be surprised, really. <laughs> so I want to maybe draw your attention to a film. And it's called The Reason I Jump. That is indeed probably the most famous book in terms of non-speaking autism out there. And I didn't watch it for such a long time because I thought, oh, this is just going to be the book. And I've read the book. And I and I, know, I mean, I've read the book more than once. It, only, it takes less than a couple of hours to read. It was life-changing, just the most stunning window into the world of a non-speaking autistic person. This boy, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly, Naoki Higashida or Shadi. Uh, wrote it when he was 13 but actually the film oh my gosh I mean it costs £1.99 to rent on YouTube you can watch it on your phone I think it's also available on Apple TV it was made in the UK it is just such a, a visually stunning story and yes I get the title because it's kind of narrated as though it's in the voice of this boy who wrote the book so quoting passages from his book but the visual context added to it is just amazing and it films a number of different families all over the world of non-speaking individuals and oh my gosh I it's just wonderful and even more incredibly Elizabeth Vosselow who I keep harping on about <laughs> is in this film. So you will see her working on the letterboards with one of the non-speaking adults. And there is also a boy who is now a young man called Joss, who goes to the same school that my son Henry does or went to. He's now left. Obviously, he's an adult. Um, That school is called Bradstow. It is based in Broadstairs in Kent. It is a residential and part residential and day facility. Uh, very specialist autism 
facility. My son is a part residential student there, so he comes home every other weekend or every weekend if we need it to be that way and all of his school holidays. And it was just, yeah, it was just incredible to see. So I, as a practitioner, when, not if, <clears throat> when I qualify and gain a heap more experience, will, I, I really, I hope to become what they call a CRP, which is a co-regulation partner. So that is someone who can um, build a relationship with and uh, trust with and a bond with to work on letterboards uh, with Joss, who who I, once I have qualified, will be the kind of nearest practitioner to. Um, I have met his family briefly, his parents, and yeah, again, just incredible. So, so back on track <laughs> about that no apology, yes? And all of you out there uh, not apologizing for who you are. The wonderful thing about it is, is that it is, it also, it resonates with us all in different ways and for different things on different days. So our worlds as parents in particular are just so full of, I should, I should be doing this. I should be doing that for my children, etc. And, um, you know, that is, that is exacerbated tenfold when you are parents to a child who is neurodiverse um, or special educational needs and wake up and just think about it and just go, you know what, no apology today for shouting irrationally at my children, yeah? None of us is perfect. This is a tough journey and a tough road and it's never going to be perfect. So, so cut yourself some slack or you know what, no apology for taking a 40-minute nana nap after lunch on the sofa instead of catching up on the laundry or those blasted flipping school emails that is like a full-time admin job. Or no apology for ducking out of drinks at the bar or a function or something where you've kind of, you know, you just don't want to be there anymore and you want to go home. Just go. No apology. <laughs> They're getting pretty random now. Or no apology for polishing off all the chocolate digestives. <laughs> or in my case, the cheese puffs in the kids' snack cupboard. Just, oh gosh. I, and I mean, I do. I do think as, not us, I mean, I'm, yeah, the British are are particularly good at this. Apologizing for everything. Nonsense. Let's just get rid of that word should every now and then. It's super important. We're we're all dealing with a lot <laughs> every day. Um, so yes, I just want to really kind of again. There's another uh, before I end off something that's come to mind and that I'm seeing so much of as an issue with many families lately is school refusal or school avoidance. It is an absolute crisis right now that no one seems to be paying any attention to. And schools appear to be treating it with very sort of bog-standard procedures of advice to children and parents, as though they're neurotypical and it's all lazy post-COVID nonsense and parents are either, you know, simply not being tough enough on their children or the children themselves are simply being lazy little shits, basically. For a child who is neurodiverse and or autistic and or ADHD or sensory processing, etc. It is not the same. It cannot be treated the same way. 
urgent and tailored solutions and programs for parents and their typically teenage children in those precarious puberty and GCSE years need to be developed and implemented fast. I have been doing a tiny bit of digging and seen a few things here and there in the form of tips that may or may not help that I will share in my newsletter next month. And in the meantime, I just wanted to say to those parents and their children who are having to deal with this every single weekday morning, I hear you. You are not alone. I'm reading so much more about this increasing messages and pleas on all sorts of support group and social media platforms. You are not a bad person. You are not a bad parent for struggling with this. You both need the right kind of help and advice, and I know it doesn't seem to be forthcoming right now. I feel your pain and frustration. I wish I had solutions myself. I, I can only perhaps suggest get onto some of the Facebook support groups or social media accounts that, that your children themselves follow and that you both trust and feel comfortable with and ask, ask for advice from other parents going through the same thing and other friends and teenagers going through the same thing and, and share. We need the information from both of your perspectives, from people actually living it to be able to find the right solutions. And another, you know, reminder again to all parents out there, you are not alone. And your child is going to be okay. 